Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Ladies and gentlemen, I know the presidential press conference is going on. It seems to start at 5 or 5.30 and go on to 7, 8, 8.30 at night when I'm on the air. And I see that our podcast numbers are going absolutely through the roof. So some of you are listening live. Some of you have stations that are tape delayed, but many of you are going to the podcast, watching the press conference, and then listening to the show. So however you're listening to me, whenever you're listening to me, I want you to know something. As I speak, the Republicans and the Democrats, Congress and the President, with his point man, Steve Mnuchin, liberal Democrat, FDR adherent, from New York, have come up with a half a trillion dollar deal. So we've gone from a quarter trillion to now half a trillion. Pelosi and Schumer got virtually everything they wanted. And the Republicans and the president are celebrating it. And what's happening, like the $2.2 trillion bill, is individuals and small businesses are getting the least of it. We spent $2.2 trillion that we don't have. There's no borrowing going on, ladies and gentlemen. That is a, a neat accounting trick. There is printing of money. It's all gone, and so now they need more. So they're going to print some more. And out of this $500 billion, perhaps half, will go to small businesses, and we're now finding that Large corporations and franchisers and so forth are getting a lot of this money, not little businesses. Some are, some aren't. This hasn't even been voted on yet. Another half a trillion dollars on top of $2.2 trillion, on top of $6 trillion in loans. And the President of the United States walks up to the microphone and says he looks forward to phase four. Phase four? Oh yes, phase four. They haven't voted on a half a trillion dollars, but Mnuchin's already working on phase four. Infrastructure, broadband, incentives, state bailouts. They're already working on it behind the scenes. Now this isn't representative government. First they shut down the whole GD economy. We're supposed to hunker in our, in our homes, wear masks, wear gloves. If you dare to step out of line, you're going to go to jail or you're going to be penalized. Now they're spending this country in a bankruptcy. And I'm not going to sit here silently while this is going on. No damn way. Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? 
Don't we have a responsibility to them? Future generations, don't we have a responsibility to them? Oh, we're bailing out everybody and anything. Except those that need the help. Infrastructure, it's as if we didn't just spend trillions and trillions of dollars. Now, infrastructure and broadband and incentives and state bailouts. And we're setting the nation on a course when the left takes over, and one day they will. God forbid in the next election. What the hell do you think they're going to do with this precedent? I said when they voted on the $2.2 trillion, we're all socialists now. And then Mnuchin's asked some really good questions by reporters. Will there be a phase five, six, seven? He says, I think this will be the last phase, this phase four, but we can always reconsider another phase. We have Pollyannas on radio. We'll get through this. We'll get through this. Well, of course we'll get through this. There's no doubt about that. But will we get through it correctly or incorrectly? Broke? And a republic? That's the issue. And beating our chests and patting ourselves on the back and saying we're going to get through this isn't damn good enough. And Mnuchin says today it's really not even half a trillion dollars. It's more. Half in loans, half in grants. $600 billion. $600 billion. On top of $2.2 trillion. $2.8 trillion in three damn weeks. And they don't have enough money. That's not going to save this economy. That's not going to put food on your table. That's not going to jumpstart your business. Open up the damn economy. Let people work. Let them make money. That's how you open up businesses and create jobs. Why would you adopt the Maduro economic plan? I'm only one voice behind one microphone. Only one voice. And I am going to oppose phase four, any phase four. I'm going to fight it behind this microphone. And if you care about your kids and your grandkids, if you care about the the survivability of this republic, if you care to defend future generations, from what this, these people are doing in Washington, D.C., both parties, Congress and the administration, you will stand with me. Because this has nothing to do with stimulus. Printing money left and right and shoving it into an economy. Government projects. And government projects let people open up their restaurants, their nail salons, their dry cleaners. Let them get to work. Mechanics, electricians, plumbers. Both parties, both branches of government are exploiting us now. Don't make America into Venezuela or the Weimar Republic or Zimbabwe. Don't turn us into some poor, declining European country where the Chinese are on the move and on the rise. Economics didn't change because we have a Republican president and a Republican Senate. Economics are economics. The laws of economics are like the laws of physics. They don't change. I had no intention 
of starting my program this way until I watched the beginning of this press conference. And I was appalled. Here's a report from a Bloomberg senior congressional reporter, Nancy Aganovich. Schumer says next package, meaning phase four, will be similar in size and ambition to the $2.2 trillion measure passed earlier. He says help for state, local governments, rental assistance, election safeguards, more will be priorities in that package. Damn it! I intend to fight this like I have fought every other thing in my career that needed to be fought. I will fight this. You Levinites out there, you better get on your phones, you better get on your emails. And you better tell your member of Congress we're going to kick their asses out of office so hard and so fast. We have had enough. Now open up our country, give us our liberty back. We know how to deal with this virus. We know how to mitigate. We're not third graders. We're a free people. And it doesn't matter who the president is when you spend like this. Inflation is inflation. Hyperinflation is hyperinflation. Deflation is deflation. When I watch this jerk Mnuchin behind a microphone... Yes, uh, well, you know... uh, We can always go another phase after phase four. You know, we can always reconsider on that phase. We'll take a look. He already knows what's in phase four. They haven't even voted on phase three. You and I get nothing. We have no say. We have no participation in this. They ram it through the Senate. They ram it through the House. They celebrate it. But where the hell did the $2.2 trillion go? These are relief bills. They're not stimulus bills. But they don't provide relief. Because the government can't provide relief. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark, 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 what is your plan? What is my plan? You think I'm Mao Zedong? Joseph Stalin? What is my plan? My plan is to give us our liberty back. My plan is to give small businessmen and women their businesses back. 
My plan is to defend blue-collar and white-collar America so they can get their jobs back. My plan is that union members and non-union members can get back to work. What do you mean, what's my plan? It's my plan? From Maine to California, Hawaii and Alaska. It's time to rise up. We've had enough government. And we've been pushed around enough. We're well aware of the virus. The virus is infecting our friends, our neighbors, our family members. We're well aware of the virus. And we're well aware that mitigation steps have to be taken. And we have complied. We've been orderly. We've gotten in line. And now, now, Washington wants to destroy our voting ability. Now, Washington wants to spend trillions on government projects. Now, Washington wants to spend God knows what on broadband. And they want to bail out irresponsible governors and states. They want to print and print and print. It's time for you to contact your members of Congress in the White House. It's time to inform the Republicans and the President and to help them find their way on this. We need the small businessmen and women to rise and the hardworking people in this country to rise. The people who are retired, who are watching their savings, Blown away. It's time to rise. Don't sit in silence any longer. And we've had enough of these backdoor trillion-dollar bills. They have to hurry and pass them, don't you know? They rush and they pass them. Well, what the hell good did the last one do? And what the hell good is this one going to do? And the next one, and the next one. Then you're going to wake up one day and there'll be a Democrat president. And what are they going to do? They're going to point to the Trump administration. They're going to point to Mnuchin. They're going to point to the Republicans in the Senate and the Republicans in the House. They're going to point to conservatives who threw in with this crap. I say these things not to sabotage our president. I say these things because I love our president. And I want them to hear us. I say these things because I despise Joe Biden and the left. And so when we mimic them, when we adopt their fiscal policies, which aren't even fiscal policies, somebody has to speak up. So it'll be me. These politicians are bankrupting your children. And your grandchildren. And the future of this country. Men and women in uniform. Today, they're in one hellhole after another. Defending what? Defending our liberty. Defending our constitution. Our declaration. Why? So Washington, D.C. can spend it away in three months? In three months' time. Three months. Who are the fiscal conservatives? Who are the constitutionalists? Where the hell are they? You won't find them in National Review. 
You won't find them in too many places. Got to get the virus. Got to get the virus, no matter what. It's a war. Got to get the virus. No matter how we devastate the economy, no matter how we devastate the lives of millions of fellow human beings, no matter how we destroy hospitals in our healthcare system, entrepreneurs, men and women who've worked their whole lives and saved their whole life, doesn't matter. What was it that Fauci said? It's inconvenient or something? He's 50 years with the federal government. He'll get his pension. What should we do? What do you think we should do? Give us our freedom back. We know how to make jobs. We know how to create businesses. Think the government did this? Now, this kind of spending makes Franklin Delano Roosevelt look like a penny pincher. A penny pincher. Do you understand? They're not really borrowing. The federal government is writing an IOU to the federal government. They're writing IOUs to themselves. They're never going to be paid back. It's impossible to pay this back. It's not going to happen. And they have no intention of doing it. None. And when it's all said and done, we'll have nothing to show for it because it doesn't stimulate an economy. It never has and it never will. I ask you, did you believe in all those things that you've been debating and saying and pamphleteering about all these decades or not? Did you believe in free enterprise and a free people or not? Did you believe that massive deficit spending was bad for the country or not? Look into your soul. Look into your heart. You know this is wrong. And they are gleeful. They're celebrating. They're thrilled with each other in Washington, D.C. The media do not want you to protest. The media do not want you to speak up. Well, I'm speaking up. And I'm protesting right now behind this damn microphone. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days... I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. If you want to talk to Mark, we have two numbers for you to call. For regular Americans, call 877-381-3811. For liberals, call 877-381-3811. You know, for some reason, what I say in plain English, black and white, is transcribed by our guys. It's put in our archives by our guys on marklevinshow.com. You can check out the Daily Recap. For some reason, what I say is always twisted by the media. And so this will be twisted as Levin attacks Trump. I'm not attacking Trump. I'm not attacking any individual per se. I'm attacking this policy. It doesn't matter who's attached to it. It doesn't matter who's attached to it. Schumer, Pelosi, McConnell... The president, this is about what kind of country you want to see. And if you believe that what Washington is doing will be extraordinarily dangerous to this country, then you need to speak up. You need to speak up. Because we're dealing with this China-Wuhan coronavirus, COVID-19, call it whatever the hell you want to call it. But that doesn't give license to or a green light to the federal government to destroy our economy. It's bad enough the states have destroyed our economy. What is the difference between the Mnuchin idea of what we should do and the Obama idea of what we should do? This makes TARP look like a joke. This makes the great society look like a joke. And what are we going to have to show for? Well, we're going to have magnificent bridges and tunnels and airports. With all due respect, we don't exist to serve the interests of government. The government exists to serve us. And before we spend a fortune on infrastructure, that's a really cool word, isn't it? We need infrastructure. Our bridges are falling apart, our tunnels are falling apart, our roads are falling apart. No, they're not. Some are, some aren't. But we talk about federalism. The vast majority of roads and bridges and tunnels in this country are not federal roads, bridges, and tunnels. This is the problem. We're going to bail out the states. We're going to build their roads. We're going to build their bridges. We're going to build their tunnels. We're going to take care of their ventilators. We're going to take care of their doctors. We'll do whatever they want. Then you have guys like Cuomo or Newsom or the others. Federalism. Federalism. We had a report out two days ago. Actually, I think it was Friday. How many, how many hosts even mention it to you? That in 2019, $175 billion was wasted. Fraud or waste. $175 billion. It doesn't even sound like money anymore. We're in the, the trillions. Big deal. That's surrounding her now, right? Has anybody proposed cutting any government agency, any government department, 
any government jobs, any government programs. Well, Mark, they're going to cut regulations. I didn't ask that. $175 billion in waste. And all of a sudden, we have conservatives out there who seem to think, let's pour trillions of dollars through this Leviathan, and it'll be spent beautifully. Oh, my God, we'll have these magnificent bridges and tunnels and this, that, and the other. No. Even that is filled with abuse. State and local governments coming up with their little hobby projects. Everything doesn't go to rebuilding falling bridges and so They got all kinds of new ideas, you know. Like shovel-ready jobs. Remember those? Shovel-ready jobs under Obama. Exactly the same people are going to be handing this money. Just because it's voted on and signed off by a Republican president, it goes through the same mechanism. It goes through the same states, the same localities. It's crapped away so fast. Ask yourself, what happened to the $2.2 trillion that was just passed three weeks ago? They're back. They just upped it to half a trillion. And they're coming back. With a phase four, they're talking about phase four before phase three is spent. They were talking about phase three before phase two was spent. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe I'm the only one, right? I got to believe you Levinites out there agree with me. It's just appalling. It's appalling. You know, I've told this to you before. Wasn't that long ago when people would say, you know, I'm not a social conservative. That's kind of icky, you know. And I'm certainly not a hawk, you know. All these wars we get involved in. But I am a fiscal conservative. That I am. Yeah, I'm a fiscal conservative. Uh, No, many of them are not. They're not fiscal conservatives. They're not foreign policy conservatives. And they're not social conservatives. Well, what are they? I don't know. I don't know. It's time for the rise of a new Tea Party movement. Call it whatever you wish. It's time for the rise of a new Tea Party movement. It's time that your voices are heard. You will be attacked... You'll be said to be irresponsible. You will be called Nazis. You will be called Klansmen, white supremacists, white privileged, even though many of you aren't white. Won't matter. But it's time. It's time to protect the nation. We have very young men and women overseas in horrific hellholes as I speak to you. They're doing everything they can to protect our country. It's not really that hard for us to speak out. Let us find out who the fiscal conservatives are in the United States Senate the next day or two. Let us find out who the fiscal conservatives are in the House of Representatives in the next day or two. I don't care what other radio hosts say. I don't care what other TV hosts say. I don't even know what they're saying. I don't know what they're saying. And this isn't a battle between me and Mitch McConnell and me and Kevin McCarthy and me and the President of the United States. 
which is how the media portray these sorts of things, has nothing to do with that. This is a battle of ideas. And ideas matter. Our nation was founded on ideas, on principles. And we're getting very, very close to abandoning all of them. All of them. All of them. And I refuse to remain silent. Not in the face of this. I refuse to be silent. In all these battles with Trump that you read, Matt Drudge and these other people, these are Mickey Mouse battles. These are battles to get more hits on your website or to draw attention to yourself. There's other battles out there that go on with the media trying to draw attention to themselves and writing books because nobody knows who they are. Scoring points. The lady from NPR is a disgrace. Acosta is a disgrace. We can go down the line. These are not real journalists. They're not real reporters. These Trump haters, these never Trumpers, they are mindless in their relentless attacks on the president. But when you have real issues, real issues, real issues, where both parties are out of control, where both branches of government are out of control when it comes to massive deficit spending like we've never seen in our history. You have an obligation to speak up. You have an obligation to be heard. Otherwise, just the kooks who support Nancy Pelosi and Schumer will be heard. Just the kooks from Goldman Sachs, like Mnuchin, he'll be heard. But we need to be heard. We need to be heard now. You know, when I wrote this book, Plunder and Deceit, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Out of my last three or four books, it sold the least number. And it was one of the most important books I wrote. It's the plunder and deceit of young people in this country, against young people in this country, by our generation. By our generation. We're doing this. Sir Francis Bacon was a tremendous scholar and philosopher hundreds of years ago. British, of course. Children sweeten labors, but they make misfortunes more bitter. They increase the cares of life, but they mitigate the remembrance of death. We live for our children. Most of us do. We live for our children. We would give our lives for our children. Same with our grandchildren. They mean everything to us. They're our blood. They're our flesh. It's not about politics. It's not about Republican or Democrat. We're making it absolutely impossible for them to prosper. When we accept a diminution in liberty, they inherit it. When we accept wildly inflationary printing of money, they inherit it. When we are unmoored from our constitution and representative government, they inherit it. That's what we give to our children and grandchildren. Our parents and our grandparents handed over to us a country 
that was better than the one they inherited. What are we going to hand over to our children and our grandchildren? What are we going to hand over to them? Among the least acknowledged facts of American modernity is the extent to which parents, acting in their familial capacity, naturally and tenaciously guard their young children from threat and peril, to the point of risking their own physical and security in extreme cases. But as part of the political and governing community, what I call the ruling generation, many of these same parents wittingly, some unwittingly, join with other parents in tolerating, if not enthusiastically championing, disadvantageous and even grievous public policies that jeopardize not only their children's future, but the welfare of successive generations. That's the first sentence. Their accepted norms of behavior, a moral order, born of experience and knowledge, instinct and faith, teaching and reason, love and passion, that provide definition for and boundaries between right and wrong, good and evil, and fairness and injustice, applicable to families, but also applicable to societies alike. So a harmony of virtuous interests informed by tried and true traditions, customs, values, and institutions, and cultivated within families and the larger community, preserves and improves the human condition, one individual at a time, one generation to the next. You know what we call that? We call that the civil society. To embrace the moral order as parents nurturing their children, yet to abandon the moral order as members of the ruling generation, thereby contributing to predictably deleterious public policies with prospectively calamitous outcomes, is a decadence that leads to unstable and potentially oppressive or even tyrannical conditions, which in the end degrade and disassemble the civil society and consume their children's generation and generations beyond. Reformation and recovery may be possible, but difficult and complicated, and typically only after the exaction of an enormous human toll. In modern America, the unraveling of the civil society has been subtly persistent, but is now intensifying. So it's written five years ago. Evidence of rising utopian statism, the allure of political demagogues and self-appointed masterminds, peddling abstractions and fantasies in pursuit of a non-existent paradisiacal society and the concomitant accretion of governmental power in an increasingly authoritarian and centralized federal leviathan abounds. The ruling generation's governing policies are already forecast to diminish the quality of life of future generations. Among other things, witness the massive welfare and entitlement state, which is concurrently expanding and imploding, and the brazen abandonment of constitutional firewalls and governing limitations. If not appropriately and expeditiously ameliorated, the effects will be dire. And we, the ruling generation, we know it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. 
Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I take no pleasure, no pleasure, in having to say the things that I've said. Because I know they will be twisted. I know they will be used to try and sabotage the president. I know all these things. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a higher moral principle here. And if you believe as I do, that this reckless, insane deficit spending will rip the economic heart out of this country. And it's only a matter of time, not in the immediate future, but soon enough. Then it is your duty as a citizen to speak up, to talk to your family members, your coworkers, your friends, to talk to your neighbors, to talk to your members of Congress and the Senate and the House. And Tom Massey was right, as I said at the time. They're coming up with schemes to try and avoid roll call votes. So you don't know how your member of the Senate is voting. So you don't know how your member of the House is voting. So they can tell you whatever they want. That's not representative government. That's not representative government. Look at what's going on. Bailing out States, where's that in the Constitution? Federalism, except when they need stuff. Where's that in the Constitution? Governors can shut down interstate commerce in violation of the federal Constitution. Nobody says crap, except me. First Amendment appears to only apply to the press. What about freedom of speech and protest? Apparently the press doesn't like that either. It's time for a new Tea Party movement. Not against one man, not against a group of men, not against one party, but in defense of our liberty. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I want to salute the governors of Tennessee, South Carolina, and Georgia. I want to salute them because they're starting to open their businesses in a significant way. Friday and this weekend. And the media will be there. They're trying to destroy them. See, the media like the fact that the economy is 
much of the economy is closed because they see all the things that are happening in Washington. If you understand the media like I do, and you do because you listen to this program and you've read on freedom of the press, then you understand that when we talk about Jake Tapper, we're talking about Chuck Schumer. When we talk about Wolf Blitzer, we're talking about Nancy Pelosi in a good light. There's neither dimes worth a difference between the radicals and the Democrat Party and the radicals dressed up as journalists who are Democrats. Not a dime's worth of difference. Same with the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. Same with all the rest of it. The Huffington Compost. Mediaite. What a joke. And all the rest of the reprobates out there. They don't think for themselves. They're spitballers. As I wrote in the book, it's about groupthink and the pack mentality. This is what it is. They push pseudo-events. The president calls it fake news. But this isn't fake news and this isn't a pseudo-event. When members of both parties and in both branches of government are almost gleeful, almost celebratory about how much they're spending, and they can't wait for the next phase. This is what happens. When you actually don't have to raise taxes or otherwise come up with the funding for your spending. Why not? Why not? Chuck Schumer on CNN today, that gutless buffoon, has never come on this program, even though I started my radio career in New York City on WABC. He knows who I am. He's been invited multiple times to come on, but he's a fraud. He's a coward. It's a dingbat. So he's asked CNN, John Berman, you want to hear a tough question by a true moron? This John Berman, CNN, listen to this. Cut five, go. What's your opinion of what's happening in some states, including Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, where they're beginning to reopen businesses? Now, these are not your constituents exactly, but how do you feel about these measures? Now, now let's stop. He knows exactly how Schumer feels. Schumer represents New York. He has nothing to do with these other states. And luckily, Schumer has nothing to do with these other states. The people in New York would starve to death. They'd starve to death. If all the governors acted like Cuomo, if all the senators spoke like Schumer, there wouldn't be any food in New York or the rest of the country. You wouldn't have any chicken, fish, meat. You wouldn't have anything. What a ludicrous question by a ludicrous buffoon, this, this, this John Berman, who might as well just quit and join the DNC. Ask Schumer a dumbass question like that. But Schumer being exactly that, he'll answer it. Go ahead. Uh, here's what I feel. I feel that we ought to be listening to the medical experts. The no, worst no, thing- no, no. He thinks we should listen to the medical experts? Ladies and gentlemen, which medical experts? Which ones should we listen to? The ones that have been wrong or the ones that have been right? I'm listening to medical experts. I'm listening to Dr. Katz, Dr. Ioannidis, among others. I've brought them on this program, half a dozen of them. But Schumer doesn't really mean follow the science. You see, science tells us that a baby in a womb is a baby in a womb. Science tells us that that baby in the womb can live outside the womb at earlier and earlier time than we knew before. But science doesn't inform Schumer when it comes to abortion on demand, late-term abortion, and infanticide. So he doesn't believe in science. 
unless it advances his agenda. He doesn't believe in science. So which scientists, which medical experts should we listen to? The ones that said 1.5 to 2.2 million Americans will die? Or the ones that said 100,000 to 240,000 Americans will die? And why aren't we seeing these charts on TV 24-7 anymore? We see them randomly. Why aren't we seeing them? Why aren't they announcing how many people died today? Why? Because it's flattening out. They can't hype it like they were. That's why. He says, listen to the scientists. Well, we have medical scientists, and we have other people who are experts in their fields, like economists. I wonder what they think about endless deficit spending. Should we listen to them? No, 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 no. Go ahead. What could happen is if we open up too soon and then this coronavirus comes back in a second round with a vengeance. But it, it, but it may come back in a second round in a vengeance because we've been listening to the scientists and the medical experts. Hunkering down, sheltering, not coming in contact with other human beings. And as a result, a significant percentage of the population hasn't had the virus. A significant percent of the population, that can statistics and data tell us, the science tells us, can survive well the virus. Not the certain parts of the population for which it is a dire and life-threatening illness. So he doesn't really believe in the science He believes in his ideology. Go ahead. And that could happen in the summer. It could happen in the fall. Who knows when it could happen? But listen to the experts and be safe. Every expert I have talked to said, you've got to be careful. And by the way... And everybody is is being careful, you idiot. Everybody's rolling out in phases. Everybody's being careful. Everybody knows to mitigate. Everybody knows this now. You see, the internal incoherence of what he says is the internal incoherence that we hear from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, as a matter of fact. Hunker down, shelter at home, then we'll let you know when it's safe to come out, when we flatten the curve. But as one expert after another has said, you're not flattening the curve for the virus, you're flattening the curve for hospitals. That is, everybody's not rushing into the hospital. So when Fauci says, this could be seasonal, We could have phases, and you hear Schumer saying the same thing. That's because of the decisions that the quote-unquote government experts made. And nobody has said let it rip, except Nancy Pelosi in Chinatown, except uh, de Blasio, de Camio in New York at some point he said that, except half the media said it, let it rip, let it rip, now it's... Everybody must be in Rikers. Everybody needs to be in Rikers right now. Except the prisoners. They're all going to be freed. The rest of us, we have to kind of be, you know, prisoners in our own home. Anyway, go ahead. The American people is real. Uh, I think two-thirds of them say they're worried we'll move too fast, not that we'll move too slowly. Everyone has a right You know what's interesting? They say two-thirds say they're afraid we'll move too fast. These polls anymore, because of the propaganda people receive and the endless, relentless propaganda they receive, 
mean nothing to me. If you put a question like this, the economy is going to collapse. The hospitals will collapse with them. More and more doctors and nurses and community hospitals will go out of business. More and more people will die from other maladies other than this virus. Do you think we should open the economy or not? I bet 80% of the people would say yes, yes, of course. But that's not the way the questions are posed, is it? So these polls mean nothing to me. Go ahead. Protest and make their views known. But because a couple of thousand protesters gather on a lawn doesn't mean that we should uh, bend to their will. They're not. Well, maybe they need more than a couple thousand protesters. You see, you're not scientific experts, he says, and nor am I. We ought to listen to them and we ought to be very careful. Everybody's being careful, but there's scientists and there's scientists, and there's models and there's models, and there's data and there's data. And the last one to listen to is Chuck Schumer. Because he's driven by power and ideology. It's pretty much what he's driven by. Listen to the scientists. Has he ever spoken to Dr. Ioannidis? No. Has he ever spoken to Dr. Katz? No. Why not? Does anyone listen to real experts? Has he looked at the Stanford study on antibiotics? No. USC study? No. And looked at any of it. Neither is the dim-witted John Berman, who asked him a question. You could ask him a real question, like, you know, we have these professors in Stanford. They've been doing studies in Santa Clara. Some have been doing studies in L.A. and so forth. And the studies are kind of the same. They're coming up with the same results. You know, these are called sample population studies. And what they're finding is anywhere from 55, listen to this, 50 times, 55 times to 80 times more people have had this virus than have been previously known. That still means millions of people haven't as a result of hunkering down. But an enormous number of people have. And so the death ratio is relatively small. May I say that? Every life matters. Liberals don't need to lecture us. They're the ones running around with signs for abortion. Not you and me. Not you and me. So we're trying to follow the science. Here's some more science. You keep this economy shut, you get a lot more sick and dead people. But they don't discuss that science. They don't even want to know the data. We have patriot governors who are opening their economies as much as they can, and they're doing it carefully and with the science. Starting with Tennessee... Georgia, and South Carolina. And I want to thank those three governors. And it looks like Florida's doing relatively the same thing. My governor, you know, I don't know if he's in the bathroom painting his face or what the hell he's doing. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. 
It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Well, some of you get mad at me no matter what I say, but I say what I say. Some of you, most of you will agree. There are a number of things going on in this country for charities. Uh, And um, I just want to thank all of you who are helping your fellow man. Without government, without destroying the economic and financial status of our country on your own, whether it's a small thing or a large thing, whether it's in groups, whether it's feeding people, whatever it is, I want to thank you. And I want to thank the people who don't earn a lot of money growing our food, packaging our food, transporting our food, putting it on the shelves, cashing us out when we go to the grocery store. I want to thank the bank tellers, the gas station attendants, UPS, Federal Express, Amazon Premier, all the truckers out there, Uber, taxis. God bless you all. All the restaurants that are doing everything they can to provide food and to employ their people. All the small businesses out there struggling but fighting, looking for ways to survive. I want to thank you. Chuck Schumer will never thank you. The media hates you. They don't even know who you are. And there's a lot of people on the sidelines who want to get back in. And I'm fighting for them. I'm fighting for them. That's how we get our country back. I'm getting emails about doctors and nurses who are losing their jobs. We're going to have a shortage of doctors and nurses when this is over. Not because of the hot spots, but because of the quote-unquote no elective surgeries. Or people can't afford to go and see the doctor or take their kids to a doctor, given what's going on with the economy. Or these are small businesses in many cases. When you go to a pediatrician's office, it's a business. And if people aren't coming in, they can't pay the bills and they have to lay people off and they lose their business and they may never come back again. What's being done to the medical field, to our hospitals, what's being done to Main Street USA, every corner of this country is a sin. And yet they continue to attack the media, the governors, who are doing everything they can to open their societies. Cuomo doesn't come under the criticism that DeSantis does or the governors of Tennessee, South Carolina, and Georgia. Newsom doesn't either. They're celebrated for being incompetent, iron-fisted buffoons who were never prepared for anything, let alone a pandemic, 
given how outrageous their spending was and their massive taxes and regulations. Same with Congress. You look at Schumer and Pelosi, those two clowns have been there forever. What have they contributed to this society? They distract us year after year with their fun and games and their ideological politics. How the hell can a nation survive like this? You look at our media. Our media appears to have a, uh, a standard. You have to have a very low IQ and be a punk in order to be in the modern media. Pretty much. But the left, they keep pushing their agenda. They don't really have to push hard on spending because the administration and the Republicans are all in. I'm not talking about $25 million. Hey, look, if they gave $25 million to the Kennedy Center and wouldn't spend a trillion dollars, I'd say, give the Kennedy Center $50 million, $50 million, and cut the damn spending to a trillion dollars. It's a joke. It's like paying for mustard at a ballpark. It's a minor condiment. Anyway... Here you have Chris Van Hollen, Marxist, Maryland. What does he want in the fourth phase? To assist people who, who are renting their apartments. So we're going to assist people with their mortgages, assist people to rent. What else? The laundry list is very, very long, ladies and gentlemen. Very long. And if you don't support it, you hate people. If you don't support massive socialist centralized government, you hate people. Isn't it sickening how on defense Republicans are? It's sickening. You and I are the ones who believe in humanism. You and I are the ones who want people to have paychecks. You and I are the ones who want small businesses to survive. And we have a plan. And you know what the plan's called? hate to tell you. Capitalism. It's a hell of a plan, too. It works every time. Capitalism. Well, market didn't work this time. You've got to be kidding me. The iron fist of government shut down capitalism, or many aspects of it. Capitalism didn't shut down capitalism. And what are we going to do now? Replace it with, with socialism and being centralized government? That's humane, isn't it? No, it's not. Everywhere it's tried, it sucks. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark doesn't suffer fools well. So, if you're a fool, don't call 877-381-3811. I mean, you and I... We love this country, and they, we look at what's going on today with the Republican administration and Republican Senate. And then you think to yourself, I do, 
They're pushing this Green New Deal. They're pushing climate change. They're pushing guaranteed minimum income. They're pushing a wealth tax. They're pushing all kinds of invidious and insidious and insane ideas. And we're one election away from getting it. And this is exactly why when the Republicans are in office, they shouldn't screw it up. Talking about economics and finances now. Do you see what happens when we have a crisis? What happens when we have a crisis? Everybody knee jerks to the left. Everybody knee jerks to a powerful central government. Even conservatives knee jerk to a powerful central government. Now, to his credit, the president is very mindful of the Constitution. The problem is, if you're mindful of the Constitution, you're mindful of federalism, but you and your party join the Democrats in massive deficit spending, for which there is no future payment or payoff or anything of the sort, it undermines, it undermines the entire project. Because you can believe in federalism on certain issues, but if you believe in a massive central government spending money, subsidizing states, subsidizing this, paying for that, paying for this, kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? I think the president has been 100% right in pushing to open this economy, and he was the first to do it. But this spending in Washington, D.C., seems to be its own virus. It's an obsession with politicians in both parties and in both branches. They can't control themselves. And they'll wrap it in all kinds of platitudes, good purposes, and so forth. You know, there's a lot of things out there that need to be funded. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of imperfections with humanity and society and the government. We can fix them all. Just spend money. That's what they tell you. And they're wrong. For over 30 years, the MRC has distinguished itself as one of the most effective conservative organizations. They provide reliable, fact-driven information about the media because the American people deserve the truth. And one of the most important parts of the MRC is its CNS News website. It's an absolute must-read for conservatives. I read it every single day. And you can learn more about CNS News and the rest of MRC at mrclevin.org, mrclevin.org. CNS News covers the stories the rest of the media ignore or distort They're doing an exceptional job covering the coronavirus. Unlike CNN and MSNBC, the folks at CNS News actually cover the news coming out of the president's daily briefings instead of attacking the president all day, every day. If you read CNS News like I do, you'll be up to speed on all the news, not just the coronavirus. They're all over Nancy Pelosi's shenanigans and the craziness going on in Virginia with Governor Ralph Blackface Northam signing a series of radical laws on abortion, on guns, on LGBT rights, all kinds of other things. He's completely out of control. This is the kind of coverage you'll only find over at the MRC's CNS News website. Go to mrclevin.org, mrclevin.org to learn more. I strongly encourage you to bookmark this. MRC... Levin.
org. Now, uh, over at sfgate.com, not exactly a conservative site, they have the three Bay Area counties shared data in report published by the CDC. Now, what did they find? What did they find? They found something that we already know, but it's good. I'll tell you, I'm going to read it to you right now. The data show that 9 of 10 patients had an underlying medical condition. 9 of 10. Including hypertension, 49.7%. Diabetes, 28.3%. Chronic lung disease, 34.6%. Cardiovascular disease, 27.8%. Obesity, 48.3%. Per patients 18 to 49, obesity was the most prevalent underlying condition, according to the study. But we get, I mean, all these studies are coming in now. They're very, very important, and they're telling us the same thing. But Chuck Schumer doesn't want to follow the science. You know, uh, they said 60,000 people would perish. This is last week now, from the coronavirus. I've pointed out to you over and over again, as we are the point of the spear around here, or the tip that even the information that is provided to the CDC on the CDC March 24th form is not reliable. It creates conflicts. That is, the coronavirus is the fallback illness that they're to put on the form if there are other comorbidities or if they're not sure what the person died from, but they know the person had the virus. That's not accurate data. But even if you give them their data, what you're going to find is that well under 1% of the people who get this virus die from the virus. I suspect what you're going to find is half a percent or even one-tenth of one percent. And what these studies from Stanford and USC and these other studies are showing, and there's many of them now, And I told you this earlier, and I've told you this before, that the number of people who've had the virus are 55 to 80 times greater than what's been reported so far. Which means these people have gone through the process, they've had the virus, they've had very few uh, reactions to it or mild reactions to it. Some of them didn't even know about it. I guess they call them asystematic And uh, did just fine. And so they're not in any peril. And so when you look at the denominator that keeps growing, 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 growing as the number of people who've had this virus, and then you look at the numerator, the people who have passed from this virus, the percentage of people who get the virus who are passing is smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And again, a footnote, that's not to downplay the seriousness of this, particularly the certain populations within our population. And it's not to downplay the aggressiveness of this virus. But it's also not to upplay, if you will, numbers that were wrong from wrong models on wrong data or limited data early on. 
And it was that data that was the basis for shutting down so much of our economy. Following the science, you know. Following the science. And this is very important. Now let's see here. Oh yes. This is something we talked about at the time. The $2.2 trillion spending bill. It seems like forever ago, doesn't it Mr. Producer? The $2.2 trillion spending bill. But that money was, may I say, pissed away fast. Where is it? I don't know. We need more. What impact did it have on our economy? None. Nothing positive. As you'll see. The number of people seeking unemployment. The number of people unemployed will go up significantly this week. Which tells you that $2.2 trillion was not a stimulus bill. It was a relief bill. And even a uh, quite an imperfect one at that. But here we are. A newspaper called the Times Union. Workers opt out for unemployment as benefits exceed job pay. Huh? Small business owners say some employees don't want to return to the payroll. This is Albany, New York. Potentially thousands of workers who were laid off from small businesses due to the coronavirus pandemic are declining to return to work because the combined income they are receiving from federal stimulus benefits and New York's unemployment system is more than they made at their jobs. Now, Mr. Mnuchin was told about this, and he said he wasn't worried about it. He's not worried about anything. The fallout also has hindered the ability of small business owners, again, this is an Albany, New York newspaper, to meet the conditions attached to federal payment protection plan loans, which may be forgiven if the money is used to maintain employee payroll. So here you have these small businesses. In order to get a loan, they have to show they're maintaining their payroll. And yet, in some of these businesses, because the employees receive more by not going to work, the small business can't get the loan. Business owners, quote, have to spend that money on salaries, health care, and rent or mortgage. So what's happened is the employees are getting more money at home, not working, than they would be getting paid and returning to work or paid and staying home, said Kevin Lubrand, an Albany attorney who learned about the situation from clients who are small business owners. So there's no incentive for employees to want to be returned to the payroll. As a result, the employers are not, aren't going to be able to spend down the PPP money. They can either can't get the loans or they're going to wind up paying a hell of a penalty. And I'm not going to ask Mr. Producer to go back and find the clip where I said all this was going to happen. You can take my word for it. Of course, if you don't, we can do that, but why bother? So in those instances, instead of having the loans forgiven by the small business owners, they may have to pay them back with interest. The Times Union reported last week that roughly 2% of small businesses in New York have been approved for loans through the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program. The program was created by a recent federal stimulus bill and launched April 3. has been overwhelmed by demand. Congress is negotiating. Of course, Congress is now going to spend a fortune. So there's never going to be enough money. I mean, I want you to think about it a second. I don't even know if there's a figure for this. I haven't even looked. What is, what, what is the value, the economic value, before the coronavirus, of every business in America? Now, what, do they, what is the economic, the market value? We have no idea, I don't believe. 
So if you're about to lose your business, we're not talking about the income that you need each year to run your business. We're talking about losing your business, which is substantially more than being able to run your business for a month or two or three, right? I don't think you could print enough money, ever, to meet such a demand. And also, a small business loan, the purpose of which is to be able to pay your mortgage and the existing employees and subsidies to existing employees. How does that stimulate anything? Only the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, Hollywood Mnuchin, because that was his last stop before Treasury Secretary, only Pelosi and only the knucklehead Republicans in the Senate could come up with such a plan. So listening to Marco Rubio, he thinks this is all pretty cool. We just needed more money. I think he put out a piece today saying what we need is a resilient economy. I got to get him on here one day and have a debate with him. I have no idea what he's talking about. But so many of these Republicans, I'm not saying him in particular, sound like central planners now. They have the answer to capitalism gone wrong. But capitalism didn't go wrong. Capitalism didn't go wrong. I'll be right back. Here we have the Bloomberg News Service, such as it is, Matthew Bosler and Yuko Takeo. Central bank balance sheets are expanding to record levels amid their latest buying spree, raising questions about how big they can get and whether those assets can ever be sold back to markets. Listen, it's not complicated. Policymakers didn't have much luck paring down much smaller portfolios in the decades since the financial crisis. And now they have to bankroll a coronavirus economy that's putting government budgets under unprecedented strain and threatening to drive companies everywhere out of business. Central banks and group of seven countries purchased $1.4 trillion of financial assets in March, nearly five times as much as the previous month record in April 2009. The Fed has led the charge, offering to buy unlimited amounts of U.S. government bonds. Now listen to that. The Fed is buying U.S. government bonds and mortgage-backed securities. The Fed is lending trillions of dollars to corporations and municipalities. Where's the Fed getting this money from? Buying unlimited amounts of U.S. government bonds. So the government is buying debt from the government. That's what that means. And the government, through the Fed is providing trillions to corporations and municipalities by buying their bonds. You really need to be thinking about this, folks, even in your own life. How do you protect yourself? You got these central, you know, the central bank, effectively, the Federal Reserve, which prints money, Just printing the hell out of it and borrowing and buying government debt. And here's what they're trying to say. 
at some point, the government has to sell that debt. The Fed just can't sit on it. It's got to sell it to the private sector. But it's subsidizing the private sector. It's subsidizing the federal debt. There's nobody who can buy this stuff. And Mnuchin's there with his goofy smile, celebrating the fact that they have hundreds of billions, even trillions more to loan and to spend at the Fed. And we got another bill coming, ladies and gentlemen. Roads to nowhere. Bridges to nowhere. Tunnels to nowhere. Oh, we got all kinds of all kinds of work we're going to make for the government-funded roads, and that won't be pissed away. No way. Shocking that your home could be stolen this easily. Deborah learned that brutal lesson when thieves found the title to her home online. Then they forged the document to appear she sold her home, but she hadn't. Then they borrowed thousands using her home's equity. Deborah didn't know she was a victim until foreclosure notices arrived and an eviction notice. She spent a fortune trying to get her home back. The crime is home title fraud, and the FBI calls it one of the fastest growing crimes. My advice for avoiding a possible nightmare is to follow my lead and protect your home with home title lock. And no, neither your homeowner's insurance nor bank protects you. For pennies a day, home title lock does. First things first, find out if you're already a victim of home title fraud. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com. Enter Mark for one month of free protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Enter Mark for one month of free protection. HomeTitleLock.com. Code word Mark. So where is the Fed going to get all this money from? Nowhere. Here's the problem. You have politicians spending without accountability. In fact, you have politicians being praised for driving up the debt because we have so many needs in this country. Nobody talks about where is this money going to come from. Not one. Not one of them. And then you have, and then you have uh, massive plans on the line for roads and bridges and so forth. And we know these shovel-ready jobs are a bunch of shovel-ready you-know-what. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. In about 20 minutes, Senator Mike Lee of Utah will be a guest on this program. We haven't heard from Mike in a while. Over at National Review, there's actually a very good piece by Jason Richwine. Shut up, the experts explained. 
People whose expertise has been questioned often respond in ways that further alienate the skeptics. A good illustration comes from Vanity Fair's profile of Alex Berenson, a leading advocate of the view that lockdowns are too strict. And it turns out, Mr. Berenson, I, and so many scholars have been correct. Berenson was one of the first journalists to point out that the IHME model, on which so many states rely, drastically overestimated hospitalizations, even after multiple revisions, and even after taking the effect of lockdowns into account. Here is the response from Greg Gonsalves, assistant professor of epidemiology at Yale School of Medicine, as quoted by Vanity Fair. Quote, models are not crystal balls. A modeler is giving you a range of potential outcomes. What Berenson is doing is what a lot of people who don't understand science do. They take the uncertainty built into a model and say, oh, well, it shows these people don't know what they're talking about. He's playing with scientific uncertainty in order to say, see, I know what's right here. He's somebody with a messianic complex. And to be clear, all the models say this is going to be one of the worst epidemics we have ever faced. Well, with all due respect, jackass, it's not. But let's continue. Note the arrogant tone, the name-calling. I did note that. And the argument from authority. This is how Professor Gonzalez intends to win over the skeptics. It's not even clear what his point is. Yes, all predictive models have uncertainty, but it follows that the more uncertain the model, the less useful its predictions are. That should not be controversial, I should say. Furthermore, IHME has underestimated its own uncertainty. Excuse me, has under Yeah. Although I'm reading with one eye here. Although I am a mere policy analyst, I do know that when IHME offers 95% prediction intervals then the actual values are supposed to fall outside those intervals only 5% of the time. Now, applying that standard, critics investigated how the IHME model has performed on what should be one of the easiest tasks, predicting the number of deaths that will occur the very next day. They found that over a four-day period, the actual number of next-day deaths in each state fell outside the model's 95% interval, about two-thirds of the time. The failure is self-evident. One need not have a messianic complex to reject this model's predictions. Finally, even if all the models say this is going to be one of the worst epidemics, this is hardly the end of the policy debate. It can be simultaneously true that we face a terrible epidemic and that full lockdowns are an overreaction. The real issue is how far our mitigation attempts can go before they're no longer worth the economic and social costs. Even people who understand science might conclude that those attempts have already gone too far. Not to be outdone in the Vanity Fair piece, Dr. Joseph Vinnets chimes in on Berenson's point that most hospitals are not overcrowded. Why is this guy Berenson even getting any oxygen? People are underusing the system in terms of the regular catastrophic circumstances like heart attacks or strokes or elective procedures. So we don't overwhelm the hospital system. So that's why some medical workers are being laid off. The fear of getting COVID-19 is why people are not coming into the hospitals for other health issues and for elective surgeries. It's to free up the facilities for COVID patients. He should stick to his novel writing. He should go back to school to learn some science. You know, I get this and other talk show hosts guess this. When you engage on a substantive and even an intellectual level, it's, oh, he's a radio host. And most of the people who say something like that, they're bloggers, they're 
They're journalists. They're failed drama students. Not terribly accomplished. Nothing from Dr. Vinetz's quote conflicts with Berenson's positions. Most hospitals are far from overflowing. They have more flexibility than expected. And non-COVID-19 patients should be encouraged to return so that beds don't get unused. Nevertheless, Dr. Vinetz felt the need to throw in not one but two gratuitous insults. Why react to skepticism with hostility rather than reason? Perhaps it's just human nature. People become invested in their own work. They come to believe their critics are not just wrong but dangerous. And they end up lashing out in frustration. Still, if the goal is to bring skeptics to their side, this is exactly the wrong way to do it. I I get a different conclusion out of this, although it's a very well-crafted piece. I notice, and you have too, Drs. Fauci and Burks are very intolerant of the views of other scholars, some of whom have deeper and broader backgrounds than they do. I mean, I agree they haven't served half a century in the federal government like Dr. Fauci, but nonetheless, people are dismissed. It's as if their views don't matter. And so an entire area is not even discussed. Like, uh, what about all the health consequences for all these other maladies that people have as a result of the, of the demands that you're making with respect to the virus? I've never heard that before. Maybe it's out there now and then, but I didn't catch it. Or other people. The media. The media cannot tolerate criticism. And you look how childish. I can't remember the lady's name from National Pubic Radio. What is her name? Yasimi something or other? I say this with no disrespect. I can't remember her name. She's a hack. She's a leftist. And you go right down the line. And others are just there to play games. I call them kamikaze, phony reporters. They go in there for the purpose of creating drama. Not getting information from the president or his advisors to give to the American people. But we've seen a few things as a result of this virus. Number one, your liberties can be devoured very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. Faster than I even imagined. Number two, your governors in these blue states and rhino governors like Hogan and others really are narcissistic and egomaniacal. Number three, not all of them, but a lot of them, but enough of them. There's no limit to what the federal government is, is going to spend. Whether you have a Republican president, Democrat president, or any combination of parties, in the elected branches of government, well beyond anything I ever imagined. I thought we were in terrific, horrific, horrific financial shape long before this virus. Can you imagine the consequences of this, looking back on it? Marco Rubio's talked, he's written about a resilient economy. We need to focus on a resilient economy and our and in the past, the parties and so forth have, uh, have not done so. Uh, maybe I'll bring them on the program to discuss it. It seems like a very bizarre idea to me. Um, everybody's trying to come up with new concepts and new arguments. There are no new concepts and new arguments with respect to this. No economy can be resilient enough when iron-fisted governors <clears throat> and others crush it. What does that have to do with resiliency? It's not a matter of economic resiliency. 
The economy didn't create this. Capitalism didn't create this. Government created this. And yet he and the others just keep voting. More and more government. More and more government. And you can understand if you're a politician and if it's your goal to get reelected, not just him but others, as a matter of fact, you can see the Dems running commercials. He didn't support the unemployed. He didn't support small businesses. He voted against grandma because they lie. And you can see that a commercial like that that pulls at the heartstrings can be relatively effective and it's harder to explain. But our guys and gals should be better at this by now. They can turn around and hit them with the same thing. They voted to bankrupt your children and your, and your grandchildren's future. They voted to destroy your, your business and your job with massive government overreach. And throw it right back at them. But apparently Republicans not, don't really know how to do this much more. So they go along. This half a trillion dollar bill is the Pelosi-Schumer bill. They are thrilled. They barely even have to fight anymore. They don't even care. They'll close down for a week. Any spending bill should go into her mansion, Napa Valley, open her $22,000, refrigerator, show you her $13 a, a quart ice cream. <laughs> I'm here for the little people. <laughs> hey, let's all go to Chinatown. <laughs> I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Senator Mike Lee of the great state of Utah. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great. Uh, kind of. You know, it's, I'm watching the country, and it's very upsetting to me. You went to the Senate floor today. I thought you made some very, very important points about representative government. Would you like to summarize some of that for the American people, please? I'd love to. Look, the United States Congress is the sole lawmaking body within our constitutional framework. In order to do its job, it has to actually show up. Congress right now has two choices. It can either legislate and reconvene, or it can stay in recess and not legislate. It can't do both. That's why I took to the Senate floor today to explain that we can't go on like this. We can't have a Congress that's routinely passing these big appropriations bills uh, while the Senate's in recess. It doesn't work. It's not constitutional. It's not consistent with the spirit, if not also the letter, 
of the Constitution, and we ought to avoid it. You know, Senator Lee, when when uh, Tom Massey brought this up, and he was absolutely correct, and he was just talking about a 24-hour delay, he was brutalized by the left and the right, by people in Congress and in the administration and the president. He's talking about a 24-hour delay. Nancy Pelosi shuts things down for weeks at a time, uh, and she comes under relatively mild criticism. Have we lost our way? I mean, I'm watching all this now. I'm watching the violation of civil liberties. I mean, we can mitigate without telling people in cars they can't go to their parishes or shutting down gun stores or telling one surfer in the damn Atlantic Ocean and arresting him because he's violating some order. I'm looking around the country, to be honest with you, and I'm not recognizing it. Yeah. No, it's it's frightening. It, by the way, I'm a huge Thomas Massey fan, and I yeah. love the man. I, I love the fact that he's willing to stand up for the Constitution. And you point out something very significant. Nancy Pelosi held this thing up for days. She has since held it up for weeks, and she hasn't taken any serious criticism in the press. Thomas Massey held it up for maybe, a, a, what, a few hours or a few minutes and did so in defense of the Constitution, and he's skewered for it. That's not fair, but this is importantly, he, he's making a point that I think we all need to remember, which is that you can't have a Congress that's legislating in absentia. It doesn't work, but we've got to fix that. In fact, let me ask you, Senator Lee, if a Congress is legislating without its members present, then who's actually legislating? A relative handful of people. Yes, not just relatively uh, small handful of people, but a really small. I mean, it, it, a few hours ago when I took to the Senate floor, I pointed out that Chuck Schumer had just been on the floor talking about something that they had negotiated successfully late last night. I pointed out this is a, an actual negotiation. An actual negotiation involves the parties present. This just involves like two, three, maybe four members of Congress uh, with names like McConnell, Schumer, Pelosi and McCarthy. That's not an actual negotiation. This is lawmaking in absentia and to some extent by extortion. That's wrong. Now, how does this damage the country going forward? Well, the minute we get into the mindset that says it's okay for four people to legislate and then behave as if the entire 435 member House and 100 member Senate has actually acted. That opens the door to all kinds of horrible things, not just for our constitutional framework, not just for limited government, but for representative government itself. That's not a direction we want to go. So we've got to make sure this is not a habit that sticks. Which will be tough to do, because now we've set what they like to call precedent. And some of these people like precedent more than they like the Constitution, don't they? Yes, they do. And as I pointed out on the Senate floor this afternoon, they like convenience. Uh, more than anything else. This is very, very dangerous. Look, Mark, we knew from the time we became a country some two and a half centuries ago that the reason we wanted a a republic, a constitutional republic, was not because it's convenient. In fact, a constitutional republic like ours is one of the least efficient ways of doing business. It's not convenient. It's not efficient. But it does safeguard liberty. And so we can't ever let Congress convince us that for not, the, not for the sake of convenience of its people, but for the convenience of its own members, that it needs to not reconvene while legislating. We can't ever accept that as a valid answer. It's nonsense. Are you concerned that even before this is quote-unquote voted on, 
that the administration and Congress, the Treasury Secretary, is talking about phase four for infrastructure and broadband and state bailouts and so forth. Are we going to destroy this country economically by pretending to save it economically? Yeah, yeah, we are. And and we're already doing it. And we've got to get off of that habit. And look, let me say something about this. I'm sure he's a good man. I, I, he seems like a nice enough guy to me. But Steve Mnuchin is not a United States senator, nor is he a, a United States congressman. I have no idea why it is that he's out there negotiating this stuff, which is not very good and contains all sorts of Democratic priorities, uh, in, instead of members of Congress. I don't understand it, and I certainly don't like it. Uh, and, and regardless of what you think about the fact that he himself is a Democrat, he's not a member of the Congress, and he has no business doing that. I don't understand this. And, and I guess what concerns me is this. Uh, I'm watching members of Congress broadcasting from their basements. And you can tell, you know, they have the five o'clock shadow and it looks like East Germany in the background and so forth. Saying that I'm going to vote for this. They're not voting for anything, are they? No. No, they're not voting for anything because you can't vote if you're not here. And they're not here. Meanwhile, Mark, you've got people, you've got cops, you've got EMTs, you've got emergency room personnel, people who run grocery stores and pharmacies. They're all showing up. They're doing their job. They're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Members of Congress, they're not. It's not to say they're not doing anything. I'm sure that, like me, they've been having all sorts of phone calls. But they're not doing the one thing that only they can do, which is vote. And for them to suggest that they're voting for something when they're not voting at all is shameful. I mean, you can, they can put on the masks, put on the gloves, have the hand sanitizer, keep six feet apart, right, and still vote. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not that hard. And, you know, we've all seen the movie Boy in the Plastic Bubble. If we had to go to something like that, so be it. But we can't make laws unless we are together. And you, you, you can't make laws unless you're here to vote. They've got to do it, especially in the Senate. There are lots of ways you can do this while distancing. In fact, we did it before we recessed a few weeks ago. We encouraged we, – we held the votes out longer. We encouraged members to come and go so that they didn't have to interact with other members. Even the floor staff sat back at a distance. This works, but we have to show up and do our freaking job. Senator Lee, can you hold on through the break? I want to ask you about federalism. I'd love to. All right. Senator Mike Lee from Utah is actually in Washington. Apparently he's an essential employee. The others are not. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. 
That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. The one-man antidote for liberal media bias, Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Now, Mike Lee, uh, I keep reading the Senate passed this bill. The Senate didn't pass a damn thing. I mean, there wasn't a roll call vote, was there? No, there wasn't a roll call vote. There was what's called a voice vote, but mm-hmm. um, we didn't have a quorum. We're not uh, appropriately convened. We're not convened at all. We mm-hmm. were in what's called a pro forma session, and this isn't okay. I mean, look, people are going to look the other way uh, this time around, I suppose because of the global pandemic but we can't let this continue this is mm. this is not how legislation works you shouldn't be passing any legislation like this let alone legislation that spends half a trillion dollars well disorder is becoming the regular order isn't it now let me ask you a yeah. question senator lee about federalism we hear this word thrown around we hear governor cuomo saying federalism while he has hat in hand for everything And now he wants a bailout by the federal taxpayer and all the other states when he was running a $6.1 billion deficit, which the New York Post called shocking back in November. And so I fear what's going to happen now, and it sounds like the president's up to this, uh, supporting this as well, based on what he was saying today, at least Mnuchin, which is, uh, yeah, we need to help the states. Now, I got to ask you this. On the one hand, Cuomo says, Don't interfere with my decisions. I'll decide whether I open the economy, even if it affects interstate commerce. I'm in charge here, but ventilators, hospital beds, bailouts, everything. He wants you, the senator of Utah, to subsidize him. What do you make of this kind of federalism? I call it one-way federalism, which isn't federalism at all. Yeah, I I call it fake federalism. Another term I've heard used for it uh, came from you, Mark, in... uh... See, it was was it a curse tyranny, word? I believe. Oh, okay. No, it was uh, no, no. You called it uh, crony federalism. Mm-hmm. Um, in your in your great book, Liberty and Tyranny, you talked about the crony federalism that occurs when governors and state legislators line up, hat in hand, uh, to go and ask Congress for more money. And really, what it amounts to is they're coming here not because they like us or not because they want to believe that we have more power, but because they know that we can essentially print more. I mean, technically, it's borrowing more, but in effect, it's just printing more money. This is how the problem perpetuates itself, and it's wrong. Doesn't this kind of spending at the federal level undermine the whole notion of federalism? I mean, I understand. We want decisions to be made at the state level more often than not, state police powers. But if the, if the, if the states are going to make these decisions and then say, I want to be bailed out for my decisions, that, that, you, you can't have it one way. That doesn't work. No, exactly. And that's one of the things that disturbs me about the steady drift away from federalism that we've seen ever since April 12, 1937, when the Supreme Court decided a case called oh, yeah. NLRB versus Jones and Laughlin Steel. Nobody talks about that case because the schools don't. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Even I even talked about that on Fox last week, believe it or not. That's fantastic. Uh, that tell, means, tell, them, uh, tell them about the 1942 case. Yeah, Wickard versus Filburn. Crazier yet. Decided that even, even wheat grown on a farmer's farm that was consumed entirely on that farm mm-hmm. was appropriately subject to federal 
legislation and federal regulation simply because it might have an economic impact outside the farm and outside that state. This is how off crazy we've been over the last 80 years. And this is what propels this kind of out of control federal spending. It produces a twenty five trillion dollar debt. It, it's unbelievable. And then they and then the the most radical among them assert, hey, federalism. I'm going, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, with all due respect, it would undermine at least half the New Deal. Do they even know what they're talking about? I don't think they do. No, they don't. To, to the extent that they do, uh, they, they carefully obscure it because deep down they don't want federalism because mm-hmm. deep down they know that federalism means smaller, more limited government in general. And the simple fact is, Mark, that if decisions that need to be made at the state level were, in fact, being made there, if they started and finished there, we'd have a very different system of government. Even our response to COVID-19 would be different. Mm-hmm. Think, for example, if governors, having made the decision to shut down their state's economies, actually then had to worry about the economic impacts of that, rather than going to Uncle Sam, going to Washington and saying, write us a big, huge check, you would have a very different set of conversations going on. Mm-hmm. You'd have... massive protests in front of governor's mansions and state capitals throughout the country. Instead, they're trying to shift all of the economic burden of that onto Washington. And our only trick here at this point is basically to print more money. If there's a phase four, as Mnuchin suggested today, Schumer said it should be at least as robust as the 2.2 trillion, just so you know. And it involves infrastructure and broadband, and you got uh, Van Holling saying that we ought to pay for rent, we ought to do this. With There's not going to be any end to this, is there, Senator? Yeah. yeah. So again, here I ask, who is this Senator Mnuchin, or, or this Congressman Mnuchin? Who on earth is he? Who gave him power to negotiate for Congress? I find this absolutely insane. Almost as insane as I find the idea that we can spend that much more money, effectively just printing it without causing massive, abrupt, draconian devaluation of currency as it's out in the marketplace right now. Who does that affect more than anybody else? Well, poor middle-class Americans. This is wrong. We need to be very, very careful about how we do that. And this can spark hyperinflation and deflation, affect every retired individual, every student, every paycheck, every, every pension, Every medical plan, it is devastating. It's like fire to an economy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, look, if, if you're really rich, if you're a former partner of Goldman Sachs like Steve Mnuchin or somebody else, you're probably going to be great. In fact, you might even, who knows, make money off of this. I don't know. But poor middle-class Americans are going to get screwed by this. It's really wrong. And I think we ought to be concerned about it right now. Very few people are talking about it, and the fact that he's speaking about it so flippantly, so glibly, so lightly, ought to be troubling to all of us. Do you think there's, there are enough senators talking about now, not even this phase three, this, so we're talking about phase four, the, uh, we don't even have a phase three yet. We're talking about phase four, and Mnuchin even said, when he was asked, by a reporter actually asked a good question, and she said, are there going to be other phases after this? He said he doesn't expect, but, you know, we can always reconsider it. That's when I blew my lid and I said, all right, that's enough. We can't just sit quietly this. Don't you think it's important to send a message to the Treasury Department and even the White House, at least a significant number of serious conservatives in the Senate, if there are any left beyond a handful, that that's it. Open the economy wherever we can. Do it, do it responsibly. Encourage the governors to do it as you are. 
But that's enough. No more of this massive spending. Yeah, yeah. And, and the absolute worst thing we could be saying right now is, don't worry, we're about to spend another two, two and a half trillion dollars. I, I, first of all, that creates an expectation that isn't sustainable. Uh, secondly, um, this guy has no right to commit that on our behalf. I, I really don't know who put him in charge of negotiating this, but I think he's done a terrible job, at least a terrible job. If by a good job, we would mean someone who would negotiate Republican ideals and conservative principles. Where's the $2.2 trillion that was passed? Do we even know where all that went? Yeah, I mean, not all of it's spent yet, but most of it is either spent or well on its way toward... But it moved fast. Doesn't that demonstrate that you, really you, cannot, you can't replace an economy even with deficit spending? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we in that initial, uh, in that phase three legislation, we appropriated $350 billion toward this PPP uh, program. That was spent in a matter of about two weeks. And, by the way, uh, by the way, Mike, I, I have serious yeah. small business people saying to me that unless their bank has some relationship with the SBA, they're not even getting responded to. I'm not sitting yeah. here, you know, as a senator's office, as a staffer trying to help people get their Social Security checks. I'm just saying there is apparently a real defect in this because I'm getting contacted by a lot of people I know. And they're saying, wait a minute. My bank is saying, uh, you know, we're having trouble because we don't have a relationship with the SBA. They say, look at Bank of America, and I don't know this to be true, but they pointed out Bank of America, they're taking their biggest customers first. So you have these chains, these, these companies with restaurant chains and everything getting in line. You have Ivy League schools with relationships with banks that are getting subsidized, sitting on $10, 15 $20 billion endowments. I don't think a lot of this money is going where it's supposed to go. No, that's exactly right. And anecdotally, I can tell you, I, I'm hearing widespread reports of this very same thing, uh, of, of people feeling like their banks are prioritizing their largest corporate and institutional customers and clients. And the small and mid-sized business is getting the short end of the stick. Uh, I've also got anecdotal evidence suggesting credit unions have been a little bit better in that regard. Uh, at least in, in Utah, I've gotten a lot of indications of that. Um, but it does trouble me uh, that there is this natural inclination to do that. And this is one of the things that happens when government spends in such large sums without giving a whole lot of thought beforehand about how it's going to work. Senator Mike Lee, I appreciate it. You're going to, I guess, uh, shelter in place in Washington, D.C., or the environs there for a while. Uh, And I want to wish you all the best and my best to your family. Thank you very much, Mark. All right. God bless. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over two million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. All right, Mr. Producer, as I do not have my call screen up right now, shame on me. Do you advise any particular caller to whom I shall speak? On the Mark Levin app, Josie in Florida. Go. Josie, go. Go, go, go. I'm in Pensacola, Florida. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Mark, thank you so much. I really appreciate what you're doing for us U.S. citizens. Um, I lived through communism as a young girl uh, in Chile, 1973. Yeah. And let me tell you, what, the first thing we ran out was toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And then four or five hours in line trying to get bread. And uh, a few uh, days after the coronavirus hit America. They were running out of toilet paper and running out of bread. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. we did. And, uh, but it breaks my heart that this is happening to the United States, and it's well-organized to destroy our country and our president. And I love my president, and I wish he opens our country, like he was saying a few minutes ago. I am a small business owner, mm-hmm. and, you know, I am not shut down because I own a uniform store. And uh, thank God that I'm still open. And the, the thing that makes me sad is that I'm getting a lot of masks uh, through my suppliers directly from China. So they're, mm-hmm. they're laughing their way to the bank. And it, well, you know, until we can get all the masks that we need here, my view is grab as many from China as possible. Yeah, yeah. But, but that said, you know, we're trying. Look, we have to really look at this with China. I've never been a fan of China. Look, I've never been a... Uh, a, a uh, what do you call it? I've been a free trader, but never with China. I've always viewed China as a national security problem. But China is not Mexico. It's not Canada. It's not Britain. It's not Israel, whatever. It's China. China is the enemy. The enemy. All right, my friend. Thank you for your great call. I appreciate it. Let's go to Holly, Beverly Hills, California. 870 The Answer. The great KRLA. Go. Okay. All that, they tell me no, Holly. How about Nancy? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT. Go, Nancy. Good evening, Mark. Good evening. Uh, I'm honored to speak with you um, on Holocaust Memorial Day as yes. the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. Oh, my. There's an expression, oh never again, related mm-hmm. to the Holocaust, which means never again shall we remain silent in the face of evil. Mm-hmm. So I want to assure you, Mark, um, and my last name is not Pelosi. I mm-hmm. want to assure you that uh, you're not alone. And I've been saying to everybody that I can, and even wrote it in my diary last night, like Anne Frank, that we need not just a Tea Party against taxation without representation, but we need a movement for independence against all of the dictatorial orders that have, and proclamations and threats that have stopped us and from exercising all of our 
constitutionally guaranteed freedoms. Mm-hmm. I guess we're the real resistance now, aren't we? Yeah, resist the resistance. And, of course, the media will treat our resistance quite differently than the, the tyrannical resistance, but that's the nature of the beast. Nancy, thank you, and uh, my best to your, your family, of course. All right, let us go to Betty, Tampa, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Quickly, Betty, you're on. Go. Okay, who's there, Mr. Producer? Ah, thank you. Jim in Kalamazoo, Michigan, the great WKZO. Go. Um, yes, hi, Mark. Uh, recently read a couple of your books. Uh, appreciate your great research. I started to engage store clerks about where they get their news. And I'll I tell you what, take sorry. Jim's phone number. Take his phone number. Jim, I apologize. We're going to call you tomorrow. I don't like being rude this way. We salute all you heroes out there, military, police, firefighters, emergency personnel, people at grocery stores, truckers. You know who you are who are making this country work. God bless each and every one of you, and I'll see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.